Welcome to Christmas Cafe, everybody. This is the holly and the ivy.
Well, good morning and welcome to our final performance of Christmas Cafe this weekend. It's a joy to celebrate this with you. It is a worship service, so we are going to stand to our feet and sing a couple Christmas carols together. How's that sound? Is that all right? Would you stand up? I'm going to go play the piano, and this lovely and talented wife of mine is going to lead you in worship. This is Joy to the World. Here we go.
more Christmas carol. Hark the herald angels sing of the all-time greats. Lift your voices in praise this morning.
Jesus, you alone are worthy this Christmas season. To you alone we lift our praises. It's in your name that we sing. It's in your name that we celebrate. It's in your name even that we eat sweet treats and in heaven gifts and joy together. We pray that you be glorified by everything that happens here this season. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Would you please be seated? It's tradition in the four weeks leading up to Advent to um, commemorate a number of different things, but this year we've chosen to highlight the four qualities that we believe Jesus brought into this world. Last week we lit a candle for hope. This year we light a candle for this week for peace, joy, and love. And, you know, when we realized that this second week was landing on peace, we started thinking about peace as a staff as we were planning this, and we just kind of felt like, man, peace doesn't seem close right now. It seems like kind of a tumultuous season in this country, in this world. I was laughing even with the fires burning, gave everything a vaguely apocalyptic vibe this week. That was kind of nice for us to all enjoy. And, you know, peace just kind of seems far off. And yet, as Christians, we know that Jesus is the center of our peace. And so we kind of wanted to theme this, this morning and evening loosely around the idea of improbable peace, peace in places that you wouldn't expect it to come. And so we're going to tell three stories this morning of improbable peace First is going to be led by Miss Simone. Simone, would you tell us a story, please? It was Christmas Eve, 1914, just after 2100 hours, when Private Graham Williams of the 5th London Rifle Brigade heard singing across no man's land. He had been sitting on the fire step, his back resting against the side of the trench facing the German line. His head hung low, his heart heavy the frigid night air settling deep into his bones. Like so many infantrymen, he thought he'd be home by Christmas. He'd been thinking of his parents and younger brother, wondering if they'd yet finished their Yorkshire pudding and retired to bed. He exhaled a slight chuckle, remembering years of youthful determination to stay awake for Father Christmas, much to their parents' irritation. However, even the most determined young men must eventually succumb to full bellies and warm blankets. Graham sighed and spoke in a soft voice. I wouldn't argue with you about going to bed tonight, Dad. Then he heard it. From the direction of the enemy, a melody hung in the bitter air. Silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright. Private Williams was used to hearing the enemy late at night, and at some points on the Western Front, no man's land was only a few yards wide. British and French troops could sometimes smell meals being prepared by the German army. Did you hear that? Was loud whispered up and down the line. Typically, this would have drawn the swift rebuke of the gunnery sergeant, but the gunnery sergeant was too busy peeking his own head over the parapet, trying to confirm what his ears couldn't believe. A second verse began on the other side, gathering momentum. Williams figured out that they were singing about radiant beams from the face of baby Jesus and caught himself singing along in his own language. More troops began emerging from the inner recesses of the trenches, their faces a mixture of bewilderment and wonder. 
By the time the German troops finished the third verse, declaring that Christ the Savior was born, there was a general consensus up and down that line that no self-respecting Englishman was going to be outcaroled on Christmas Eve. <laughs> Gunnery Sergeant Banks put up a mean exterior, but his beloved mother was a church organist, and in full-throated voice, he began singing a proper English carol. Before he reached the word Noel, a significant portion of the Allied line were bellowing along with him. Their voices took on strength as they continued through the verses and refrains, and then into a rollicking version of, Oh, come all ye faithful. Private Williams heard it first. On the other side, the German troops had joined in the singing, except they knew it in Latin. Adeste fidelis. Let a triumphantes venite, venite in Bethlehem. Two languages met in no man's land, singing the same song. As morning broke, German soldiers began calling out, Merry Christmas, in English, slowly emerging from their trenches and carrying signs saying, You don't shoot, we don't shoot. British officers were concerned about a trap, but up and down the line, enlisted men couldn't resist returning the exclamation of, Merry Christmas! After several tense handshakes and clumsily translated assurances, the Christmas truce of 1914 was on. Over the course of the day, recent enemies exchanged gifts of cigarettes, food, buttons, and hats. The truce also allowed both sides to bury their dead comrades, whose bodies had lain for weeks on no man's land. There were no shots fired that day. From sources on both sides, there's a story of an impromptu soccer match, or football as we call it in England, between German and Scottish troops. Legend has it that the Scotsmen wore kilts and the Germans won 3-2. Alas, the improbable peace of that night and day couldn't last. As word of the phenomen phenomenon spread, executive leadership on both sides forbade such fraternization, Christmas or otherwise. No such truce would happen again during World War I. But for that brief moment, in the midst of all the carnage, songs about the birth of Jesus Christ made a way for brotherhood to replace bloodshed. For a moment, unwitting enemies found a common savior, a prince of peace.
One, two, one, two, three, four, five.
same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and the fear of, and the and they were filled with great fear, and the angel said to them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. A one, a two, a one, two, three, a... Stop singing, Lord has come. Sister, let me tell you while the bells are ringing, Lord has
1888, Dr. Alfred Nobel, notable Swedish inventor, had a most curious experience. He read his own obituary and didn't like it one bit. The merchant of death is dead, the headline proclaimed. It went on to say, Dr. Alfred Nobel, who became rich by finding ways to kill more people than ever before, died yesterday. Adding insult to injury, it was his brother Ludwig who'd actually passed away. The newspaper had printed out his obituary by mistake. Naturally, being labeled a merchant of death, even an error, will cause a person to reflect on their life choices. Alfred Nobel hadn't set out to become notorious. His father, Emmanuel Nobel, was also an inventor and building contractor who made a fortune inventing what we now call plywood. As a young man, Alfred Nobel had a fascination with chemistry and explosives in particular. While he was college-aged, he met Ascanio Sobrero, the inventor of nitroglycerin. Sobrero was afraid of his own invention, as nitroglycerin can be unstable, exploding without warning due to heat or pressure. Nobel, however, wasn't dissuaded. Having grown up around construction, he knew how challenging it was to remove large boulders and such from construction sites. Gunpowder had been around for more than a thousand years, but it was ineffective at moving mountains. He experimented with nitroglycerin until he figured out that he could mix it with diatomaceous earth to stabilize and shape it. He figured out that he needed a detonator and some way to discharge the explosive remotely. Eventually, he came up with the blasting cap and the fuse, and boom, Dr. Alfred Nobel brought dynamite into this world. In many ways, dynamite was used exactly how Nobel intended safely harnessing its explosive power to what was central to incredible human accomplishments like building a railway through the Rocky Mountains and the construction of the, the Panama Canal. But good intentions aside, the potential for dynamite in warfare wasn't lost on militaries and governments worldwide. Before long, Nobel, a savvy businessman, was selling to armies in Europe, Asia, North and South America. The global arms race had officially begun. Explosive devices started showing up on the battlefields of the Franco-German War, the Crimean War, and every conflict since. In a case of tortured irony, Alfred Nobel was also a bit of a pacifist. He hated war. For my part, Nobel said, I wish all guns were their belongings and everything could be sent to hell, which is the proper place for their exhibition and use. He even believed that he was accelerating the process of peace, quoted as saying, Perhaps my factories will put an end to war sooner than your congresses. On the day that two army corps can mutually annihilate each other in a second, all civilized nations will surely recoil with horror and disband their troops. Yes, surely, Alfred. We don't have anything that goes kaboom these days. Hey, it's easy to look back and harshly judge him. But one could see how a man who believes he's bringing peace would be upset being labeled as a merchant of death. He began to consider his legacy. What was he leaving behind? A few years later, Alfred Nobel did indeed pass away, and in death did something most unexpected. He left 95% of his fortune, roughly 265 million in today's currency, to a foundation dedicated to giving prizes for achievements in physics, chemistry, literature, medicine, economics, 
and peace. That's right, kids. The Nobel Peace Prize was created by the inventor of modern, modern explosives. He was like, um, like a boring Swedish Tony Stark. Over the years, the Nobel Peace Prize has been given to notable historical figures like uh, Teddy Roosevelt, Dr. Albert Schweitzer, and General George Marshall, who created the Marshall Plan for Reconciliation after World War II. It was given to Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., Mother Teresa, Elie Wiesel, and Mikhail Gorbachev. The lit Literature Prize has immortalized luminaries like Rudyard Kipling, George Bernard Shaw, T.S. Eliot, William Faulkner, Ernest Hemingway, John Steinbeck, and Samuel Beckett. I could read you a list of scientists who've won, but you've never heard of them, so you know I'm just going like, to skip to the end. Truth is, whether he was motivated by guilt or a uh, deep concern, a uh, deep and honest desire to live in a better world, we cannot know. That said, however improbable it may have seemed in his lifetime, Dr. Alfred, in his death, Dr. Alfred Nobel left behind a legacy devoted to peace.
students playing their instruments. Those of you that go to this church, you've hung around, you know that Agape will form up with the rest of the students later this year. We'll launch with the full team, and uh, we'll spend our, our spring and early summer going out and going on a couple of tours and singing in places like drug and alcohol rehab shel- clinics and shelters and family shelters and a lot of places where the gospel isn't regularly sung. So uh, in order to prepare for that, we'd like to do a little Christmas singing. Hope that's okay. This is uh, some acapella singing. Ladies and gentlemen, that is the D minor chord. The D minor chord. The saddest of all chords. Oh, let me find my chart here. Here we go. What child is this who Improbable peace. For three years he walked city streets and country roads, barefoot and barely clothed. 
on his tongue graphic descriptions of future disaster. For three years, he endured their sideways glances and open mockery. Wasn't he friends with the king, they would ask? Wasn't he a prophet, a poet? Well, now look at him. He's indecent and impoverished. For some, curiosity drove them past the filth and squalor and indecency of his appearance, and they'd get close enough to hear him say things like, For the windows of heaven are opened, and the foundations of the earth tremble. The earth is utterly broken. The earth is split apart. The earth is violently shaken. The ground staggers like a drunken man. It sways like a hut. Its transgressions lie heavy upon it, and it falls, and it will not rise again. At this point, most of them would feel pretty smug. Their snap judgments confirmed. No need for concern, you see, because we're just dealing with a lunatic in the street. They were proud people, confident in their ways. Their kingdom was prosperous, and they had been secure for generations. They foolishly trusted in their wealth, in their king. But the man had, in fact, been raised in the courts of the king. He was a member of the extended royal family, a brilliant scholar and writer educated by the finest minds in the kingdom. When he was a young man, he'd had a vision of God, and God had asked him a simple question, who will go for me? It was in this dream, overwhelmed by God's grace and beauty, that the prophet Isaiah said, here I am, send me. And sent he was, but not to the mountaintop or the temple. From the courts of the king, he was sent by God into the streets, barefoot and indecent as a warning, for Israel had long forgotten God, turning to pagan rituals and sacrifices. Gone was the unity and power they had enjoyed under kings David and Solomon. In its place, a divided northern and southern kingdom bickered with one another, unprepared to repel invasion. But Isaiah was warned that invasion was coming. For three years, God sent him into the streets, his body exposed as a lurid warning of what was to come for everyone. Once invasion came, men, women, and children would be led barefoot and ashamed into forced exile. No one would be spared, and Isaiah pleaded with them, Oh, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly. They have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. Why will you be struck down? Why will you continue to rebel? From Isaiah's mouth, God spoke judgment over the sin of a nation, but his warnings went unheeded. And beginning in 722 B.C., the promised land was invaded and sacked for hundreds of years by Assyrian and later Babylonian forces. And the ancient kingdom of Israel would never fully recover. The diaspora, the great scattering of Jews around the world, had begun. However, that wasn't the end of the story. Through Isaiah, God began to speak of an improbable peace to a suffering and sinful people. Though it was still hundreds of years to come, God whispered of a coming Redeemer. The people who have walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. 
Historians believe that Isaiah spoke future truth over the broken nation of Israel for more than 50 years. He spoke in specifics about Mary, saying, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. About how Jesus would be born and his earthly lineage, saying, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Jesse was King David's father. He spoke about John the Baptist, saying, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Isaiah predicted Jesus' earthly ministry, saying, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. He spoke in specifics about how Jesus would endure in silence before false accusations, saying, He opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent. How he would be pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. Isaiah even predicted that he would be temporarily buried in the borrowed grave of a rich man. From ruin to resurrection, from death to life, the prophet Isaiah was given a vision of peace for all humanity through the redeeming blood of Christ Jesus. In the midst of brutality, Isaiah speaks through the ages. Even now, thousands of years later, are are we not a people in need of hope? God still speaks through Isaiah's words, promising peace and restoration. For behold, I create a new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. Desire of every 
we are now going to sing a song that goes really, really fast. How many of you know Ding Dong Merrily on High, an old carol, right? It's very, very stately normally. Ding Dong Merrily on High, in heaven the bells are ringing. How fast are we going to do this one? Yeah, that's like, a, that's like a techno beat, you know? So uh, anyway, this is Steve Hampton. He's going to play a little uh, dual octave mandolin. Isn't that cool? What does that sound like, Steve? Yeah, that's it. All right, here we go. fun. You know how sometimes you have those holiday traditions that you start and they seem like a good idea and then several years later you're like, oh man, another fruitcake. Yay. <laughs> well, we got one of those for you. Uh, two years ago we had this funny idea. We thought we'd do a guilty pleasure Christmas medley. Songs that are Christmas songs that you, you, you like them but you probably shouldn't, you know, in good taste. I mean, if you're being honest with yourself. And so last year the guilty pleasure Christmas medley struck back. This year it's the trilogy. It's the revenge of the guilty pleasure Christmas medley. <laughs> It's like Star Wars, we just have multiple trilogies for eons. So anyway, we now present four Christmas songs that have absolutely no business being together other than that it's silly and fun, and that's what Christmas should be when we are realizing the joy that is before us. Amen? Amen. All right, here's a little silliness. Here we go. Run, 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 run
she'd been drinking too much eggnog. And we begged her not to go. But she forgot her medication. And she staggered out the door into the snow. When we found her Christmas morning at the scene of the attack, she had her friends on her forehead, an incriminating hallmark on her back. Grandma got run over by a reindeer, walking home from our house Christmas Eve. You can say there's no such thing as Santa, but as for me and Grandpa, we believe. All right, this is for all you 40-somethings out there. All you 90s kids should know this one. Come on. It's been a long December, and there's reason to believe maybe this year will be better than As they pass And it's one more day Up in the canyon And it's one more night In Hollywood It's been so long Since I've seen the ocean Yeah I guess I should na 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 Our killing man this morning. Over on my left, your right, on the acoustic guitar, Mr. Steve Hampton. Give it up for Steve. On the electric guitar, my man Parker Pierce. Give it up for Parker. Starting us out on the violin and on the bass guitar, Mr. Ragnar Rosencrantz. Give it up for Ragnar. 
and locking us down on the drums. My boy Mike Brown, give it up for him, yeah! Yeah! Here we go! A one, a two! I wanna wish you a Merry Christmas! I wanna wish you a Merry Christmas! I wanna wish you a Merry Christmas from the bottom of my heart! I wanna wish you a Merry Well, so glad you all chose to be with us this morning. I am uh, just having a, the pleasure of coming up for our last story of improbable peace. My name is Scott Kegel. I'm the lead pastor here. And I brought my little uh, demonstration of our final story of a baby, the ultimate story of improbable peace. This is actually Nathan, not Jesus, but we'll get there. Isn't, <laughs> isn't he so cute? And so he's going to help tell this last story with me or sleep peacefully. Somebody last night asked me, is it a real baby? I'm like, yeah, it's a real baby. <laughs> and, uh, and, and so uh, anyway, this last story, and I, hopefully you've been blessed by this, this whole morning and the stories, even that each one of those Chad wrote, which is pretty awesome, each one of them, whether it's the story of improbable peace during war, the story of improbable peace of the inventor, the Nobel Peace Prize, or the last one, the prophet, the crazy prophet Isaiah, who predicted the coming Prince of Peace. Well, the last story, and I've already alluded to it, is the coming of the Messiah, literally coming to rescue and bring us peace. And he arrived at the perfect time. If there was ever a time of unexpected peace, it was a time when Israel was under heavy Roman rule, heavy taxation, and they were pleading for rescue. They were hoping that the Messiah would show up and set them free from their external circumstances. But the awesome thing is, is that God didn't see that plan as the necessary plan. He saw past that to man's greater need which was to address what was going on on the inside. You see, mankind, including today, our greatest need is the fact that our sin has separated us from a perfect God, our rebellion, our choice to go our own way. And God, instead of fo following man's plan and saying, you know what, I'll, I'll take care of the external circumstances, he came and decided to rescue us and bring peace from the inside out. I'm going to give him back to Michelle because he's doing so perfectly and he's sleeping. Say goodbye to Nathan. This peace, this peace didn't come at all in an expected way. It was designed to come and address our needs from the inside out. If you think about it, that is our greatest need. We've literally, because of our wayward rejection of God, whether we realize it or not, created this separation. But God thankfully intervened came down in an earth suit in the form of a baby, just like that, literally came down, invaded our world, lived the perfect life, then died a willing sacrifice on a cruel Roman cross for each one of us, giving us the potential to have a restored relationship with God. I was doing a little research this past week, and I found out that the word peace is used 790 times in Scripture. In fact, we're going to work through those right now. No, I'm just kidding. 
just wanted to just briefly just point on really all of those types of peace fall into one of three categories, and these categories are critical to make sure you have them in the right order. Sometimes people are, are confused. They're like, why don't I have peace internally, and, and I can't figure it out? Well, this is the way that it works, is it has to first start with peace with God, then you experience internal peace, and then the outcome of that is peace with everyone else. So starting that, working our way just briefly through each of those, the first one, peace with God, as I mentioned, that can't be done on our own. We can't fix ourselves. We can't solve that issue. Any of you that are, are married recognize when that primary relationship of a spouse is severed or, or anything's uh, going on where there's conflict, man, everything else just stinks, right? Not that I would know that. I'm just referring to other couples. Uh, but but, but, but here's, the, here's the reality. Same is true with our primary relationship with our Creator. When that's broken, everything else suffers because of that. And so here, if we're talking about peace, it has to first start with having a reconciled relationship with God. It's all over Scripture. 2 Corinthians 5.18, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. Romans 5.1, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one potential for peace to start in our lives. And then it ripples into, once you've got that aspect figured out, then it ripples into internally. If you're wondering why you don't experience internal peace, that's probably because it hasn't started there. But peace is the outcome, internal peace. When I have peace with God, I get the peace of God inside of me. Colossians 3.15, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts. It ripples into every facet of your life. If you think about it, from the, the stresses of, of finances, you're just like, you know what? I'm not really worried about it. My God owns it all. He takes care of his children. The, the stresses of, of health issues, you're just like, you know what? I can let go of that because I know the great physician, and I know that he takes care of his kids. The, the, the stresses of what's going to happen when I die, all of those things, and you could add to the list, all of those things are able to be covered by the peace that Jesus Christ brought to us. The third one that I mentioned, and this ripples into this as well, it's a very important one that our world can't seem to figure out, is when you have peace with God, peace inside, then it's possible to have peace with your brothers and sisters, with other people. Our, our world is trying to solve. What do we do? Create more laws. How do we stop these crazy shootings, the, the, the pain that we see in the world around us? You can't solve that unless you solve the primary relationship first. You see, because the truth is, is when we, when we go back to our own ways and kind of going down our own paths, we just head to some pretty dark places, places where bitterness flourishes. Anger prevails. Revenge is the norm and deception is rampant. That's what we see of life outside of God reigning and ruling over us. See, that's the outcome is peace inside and then it ripples into all of our relationships. My wife was talking to a woman just in the last week who uh, recently embraced Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior and she was heading into the holidays and she was mentioning, man, I just have so much family drama with relatives. I'm sure there's none of that in this room here. But uh, in her situation, she's like, all of a sudden this year, I'm just looking at it through a different lens. 
I just see things differently now. I have a, I have a peace that's kind of taken over, and it doesn't make sense to me, but I'm at ease about things. I know that he's reigning in, in control over all of it. These are the outcomes of a peace with God. So the question, and I leave you with this, is how do you experience that peace? A lot of times people are like, well, what do I do? How do I, how do I move towards that? I like the, the statement that Rick Warren makes. He says, this all starts with a moment of clarity, the moment of clarity. When it finally sinks in, when it clicks in our mind that, wait a second, I have this problem, I'm separated from my maker, and I'm an eternal being, that's a really bad thing, I'm separated from him, how, how do I resolve it? I can't fix it myself. When it finally sinks in that it was through the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, when that clicks, when the scales come off and that makes sense in our mind, all of a sudden, through the road of humility, humbling ourselves, bending a knee and saying, God, I need you. I need what you did for me on the cross. That's when we'll experience, that's when we'll experience peace. I like that it says that the opposite of clarity is denial. The person that will say, I'm, I'm fine, no problem. How, how are you doing? Oh, I'm great. How's that working out for you? No peace, you're stressed out, anxiety, fearful, insecure, unfulfilled, all of those things are life on the other side of a, re- of a restored relationship with God. So this morning, the reason we're all together, the reason we're putting together all this music while we're singing ding-along songs and the whatnot is all to point to this rescue, this baby that came to bring improbable peace, not what was expected, but what was desperately needed. We're going to sing this very last song together, and I'm going to invite the choir up, but let me pray as they're coming forward. God, I thank you this morning for this chance to be together and to put the spotlight on you through a song, through readings, through stories. It's so awesome to see how you've invaded this world during Christmas, bringing improbable peace. I pray for anyone in this room that's never made the choice to embrace you as Lord and Savior, that they wouldn't leave this Christmas season, even if we could be as bold as to ask, they wouldn't leave this morning without having that relationship with you reconciled. We submit that to you now in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.
Well, hopefully you are blessed by this like I have been. There's not really anything in our annual calendar that has such a collection of our whole church coming together and working. I want to just take a second, just because this is our very last out of five programs, just to acknowledge a few people and just say thank you, if that's okay uh, with you guys. Uh, first off, behind the scenes, and we can hold our applause to the end, is our sound tech and tech people, all the people that do the lights and all that. Man, they never get any thanks, so we're very grateful uh, for you. Ushers, greeters, the people that are welcoming you, handing out uh, chocolates as you're coming in, Ch the child care volunteers, which is obviously a big deal, especially in my opinion. Uh, the decoration, uh, the decoration uh, folks that did all the setup of the decor here, all the behind scenes with that. The food crew, along uh, with those that uh, actually did a bunch of the baking, of making fudge, making cookies, so you guys could enjoy all that stuff specifically. I know Denise did a lot of work with that. Chris and Candy uh, did a ton of work behind the scenes with that. So grateful uh, for them as well. Uh, then the, the choirs, we had tons of choirs. Weren't they awesome, you guys? Uh, that, that's right. From the, the kids' choirs. And you can't mention the kids' choirs without mentioning the parents that had to wait every Sunday for their kids in the choir. Uh, so grateful for that. And then the band with Ragnar, Mike, Steve, Parker, the Agape band, they were fantastic behind the scenes as well. And then last but not least, Chad and Erica Riser did an amazing job pulling this all together. We're so grateful. Uh, Chad, I got you some flowers. Just kidding. I got these for Erica. <laughs> so again, thank you guys so much for being a part of this. We pray that you have an amazing Christmas. If you don't already have a a, a church home, I know this really good one in Old Agora. And so who knows, you might even be in the choir next year. God bless you. Merry Christmas. Have a great day.